So good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Wolf Wisdom Gathering. I'm Reverend Colette Duval-Pandela. This is my hero and my heart, Dakota. And Dakota means friend to everyone, for anyone who has not met him yet. He's 10 years young, and uh, he's going to go say hello. <laughs> Very good. I chose him today because my talk is called The Magic Is In You. And um, I don't know if some of you... Um, some of you don't know, but I'll just give you a little history with him. He um, injured himself several times in the hip, so now he has hip dysplasia. And so for several years, he's been very slow and rising to the occasion. So it's not something that you guys would necessarily know. Do you know what I mean? But um, his biggest thrill, as you saw when, he, when you came in, is to meet you, is to come and meet you. And then in October, he lost his mate. And um, his <laughs> only salvation, do you know what I mean, was to meet you. Um, good morning. <laughs> come on in. This is Dakota. So come say hi. <laughs> it's the big wolf. Come say hi. <laughs> So these are things that we kind of know. And of course, he was very depressed and misses her still very, very much. Um, and then in January, we were introduced to um, uh, a hemp CBD product. And um, they sold me. I went and researched it. And I researched what kind of products it was because I'm very careful about what I put into their bodies because I've now lost two wolves from cancer. I'm not giving them anything that I don't research for. So, um, and plus I trust this friend because she's a healer. <laughs> and we started in March to give him some CBD. Um, and he had already started to acquiesce to the pack. Like he used to be the first one at the gate when visitors would come. Um, and Alaska would stay back. And, and the rest of the pack would clear everybody before they got into the enclosure. Um, and uh, for uh, several like almost two years now, he's been up on the landing, waiting, letting his pack take care of that, and then coming back. And then all of a sudden, just in the last three or four weeks, he's been at the front of the line. And um, after dinner, he's playing with his puppies <laughs> and running races with them and being more dominant. And like this boy that I used to know has revealed it to me. You know, so there's like this magic. When I say the magic is within you, it's a lot of just the intention behind what you want, you know. And I've been reading a book called Into the Magic Shop by James R. Doty. And um, he, it's called Into the Magic Shop, A Neurosurgeon's Quest to Discover the Mysteries of the Brain and the Secrets of the Heart. And the way I found it is, was a miserable day in May <laughs> where we went down to do an event and it was really, really hot. And this man we met just at a nursery someplace told me about this book. And I thought, oh, that sounds so interesting. I used to be a human development major and it kind of works with everything else and my spirituality and the brain and anything like that I like absorbed. 
So I got this book, and I love books on tape because I can just listen to them from my phone. It was not really on tape, but <laughs> I aged myself. It's <laughs> not even tape. It's a CD, and now it's on the phone. So <laughs> skipping generations there. But um, the opening of the book, I'm going to tell you a little bit about his story because it inspired this talk. But... Um, and it inspired me to bring uh, Takoda in, but also inspired me to take the chance on the CBD and to know that he does not have to age the way that I'm told he's going to age. He doesn't have to be in pain like I'm told was normal. Does that make sense? We take that on when we hear, you know what I mean? That's, that enters your consciousness and it becomes impressed there and then you believe it. Um, and sometimes it's true. I'm not saying that you don't have physical ailments, but the idea that there's nothing beyond that, right? So this man is my age. We were born the same year. And um, he was 12 years old. He was born in um, Lancaster to a mentally ill mother and an, an alcoholic father. And so he spent most of his time trying to be invisible and not actually exist because he might be found, found out, you know? And he liked magic because it's something he could control. <laughs> he could, it was behind the scenes and he could do something that he could control and then like surprise himself and surprise others. And he lost a magic thumb. I guess you would like put a fake, there's a fake thing for thumb or whatever. And he went to the local magic shop and there was a woman there who was visiting her son and she was from Ohio and um, she kind of just took him under her wing. She said, I'm here six weeks. If you can come here every single day for six weeks, because it was summertime and 120 degrees in Lancaster. <laughs> He's happy to go to have a place to go to air conditioned. And he said, sure, why not? And she asked him his name and he told her, my name is Jim, which was a lie. So he was out in the world telling people a name that he is not his own, you know, to change his identity somehow. So somehow he might be found out. And so it, she took six weeks, and every single day she taught him how to manifest, basically, the bottom line. And she called that the magic within you. So that's where this talk comes from. But before we get too far ahead, um, I always start with an opening uh, meditative song, and you can join me. What I ask is you just kind of relax into your chair. Don't have to hold on to anything. The chair has you, and Mother Earth has that chair, so <laughs> you can't fall. i 
what I know. I know that whatever you want to call it and whatever works for you, I know that there's a creative energy and that he's the creation of all that is seen and unseen and that we are one with that because we are made of that. And I know that we are mathematically perfect, whole, and complete just the way we are and the way we got here. The authentic part of who you are and who you have always been meant to be is in you in this moment and the magic is with you. And I claim for each and every one of you that your heart's desire is the energy moving from this huge origin that we now know has a consciousness at and beyond when you pass. The energy of your heart is what's leading you in the direction of your divine purpose, which is what you are here to accomplish. Only as you can do uniquely, perfectly, as you, like no one else. And so I'm so grateful for this knowledge that I found this knowledge that you're allowing me to share it with you. <laughs> and I am just grateful for everything that has come my way, that has come before me, that is here now in the present, and that will always be mine in and through infinity. And I release these words knowing that there is universal truth to them. They are held in the hands of this grace, of this energy, this creative thing that we are all made of. And I say, and so it is. Amen. Namaste. Aho is the native. Um, amen to that. And so it is. So be it. James Doty, this man that I read this book. Hi, welcome. Come on in. Dakota's going to say hi, so don't be alarmed. <laughs> so James Jody, he calls himself Jim, says, I reach in blindly, but knowing that there is more to this life than we can possibly see, and that each of us is capable of doing amazing things far beyond what we think is possible. So now as a neurosurgeon, he opens his whole book about a um, four-year-old because he always wanted to work with children. Um, his dream was to become a plastic surgeon to help facial disfigurement in children. And I don't know, I don't remember why he wanted to do that. But there's, uh, as you go through medical school, there's only these certain kind of internships, and he ended up in neurosurgery and, and plastic surgery. But he was working on this child who had a brain bleed. He was four years old. And while he was in there, he got everything out. It was a, uh, a, a, it was a tumor first, and they nicked something. And all of a sudden, you know how television shows, I've never obviously been in a, a surgical room where someone's crashing. But um, he's describing all the things that are going on with losing him and the blood pressure and all of this stuff. And he can't see because it's just the brain is filling with all this blood. And he can't see where to go. And all of a sudden, he remembered this woman whose name is Ruth in his head. And he closed his eyes and she said, lead with your heart. And he just reached in with his fingers, he says, and he found the bleed with his eyes closed, clamped it off, and saved the kid. And so, of course, that had me. I got chills down my knees <laughs> as I talk about it. But I was like, how did this guy 
at the nursery know that this is kind of book <laughs> that I would want to read. You know, so that synchronicity as I'm going through this book and he's like saving this kid with his eyes closed in with his hands in this kid's brain. And um, so the rest of the book is he's talking about how he learned to do that. They speak. <laughs> I know, buddy. They heard me. So now this man now, um, he uh, was taught by her when he was 12 years old how to visualize, um, but mostly to meditate first. She didn't teach him how to visualize until she taught him to meditate. You know, how many people have a hard time with that meditation part? Such a lifetime. Close your eyes and, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. And <laughs> who's scratching on the door? And I didn't put the meat out before. <laughs> That's my meditation. So he couldn't do it either. So she taught him how to just focus on, uh, light a candle, focus on the light beam. And it settled him down. It just settled him down. So it's something that now I can do that. I can actually, I used to like spend hours watching my fish aquarium, you know, because it was so, that was meditative for me. Because you could focus on something. I didn't think about anything except the bubbles and the prettiness of the movement. And so, you know, that lighting a candle. So that's what ended up working for him. So I wanted to share that with you. Um, but she took six weeks and the, it wasn't the last two or three days that she taught him how to visualize. Because she said, this is where the ma magic is, is that if you can see what you want and visualize yourself actually having it. Now I've been doing this since the eighth, pretty unsuccessfully. <laughs> but she said, you want to be a doctor, put that coat on and feel what it feels like. Look in the mirror and see how large you are. Do you know what I mean? What does it make you feel? What does it, what does it do to your sensibilities? How does it make you, do you feel proud? Do you, I never heard that step, you know? And if you're an empathetic person, you have any compassionate ability, you don't kind of understand it. But it's a lot of hard work. Think about it every single day. Visualize, you get a list of 10 things you want in your life, and you're visualizing and sensing it and putting it on. And she goes, you got to practice it every day just like magic. So anybody who's ever seen magic, I've been to the magic uh, castle. And seriously, I've been standing next to something put a ball in my hand and I squeezed it as tight as I could and then I opened it and there were three <laughs> right in front of my hand it changed so you know what I mean what they can do now I know that there were three balls in one on some level but it was magic right so you have to practice that kind of stuff which is really the bear of all of this spiritual work that you want to do is that it takes practice every single day <laughs> Whether you like it or not. <laughs> and it can be tiring. This is what he says. Another mystery of the brain is that it will always choose what is familiar over what is unfamiliar. By visualizing my own future success, I was making this success familiar to my brain. Intention is a funny thing, and whatever the brain puts its intention on is what it sees. 
Now, for me, medically, I, I'm totally holistic. To get me to a doctor is just like, you know, because there's got to be another answer. Now, I go when I have to, but I'm not dumb. But, <laughs> you know, for these guys, for the, for the wolves, I've got nine. I've got one that's ten, six that are nine. And I have one seven-year-old and one four-year-old. And when there's a lifespan of 13, 14 years, then we're heading into an arena where I know I need to do and find the things that are going to give them the most comfort, you know what I mean, and do the most healing without all the pills and all the drugs and all the treatments. And so knowing that, I can put my head in that direction. I can put my intention in that direction. And when Alaska died of cancer, I said in my head, there's got to be something, there's some way. So now I'm not saying that CBD is that way, but we are part of a study because I saw Dakota transform like nuts, become an old crusty guy that didn't have a lot of oomph in him, who was suffering from grief, come out and be himself again. Now, I will tell on myself, we all got so excited about it that we overworked him and he overworked himself, so he's kind of like has to go step backwards. <laughs> you know that thing where you think, all right, I'm, I can climb that mountain, and then you do, and then you go, oh my gosh, I twisted my ankle, I got to start all over again. <laughs> we got so excited, he got so excited, so it's something we have to build up to because he doesn't have the strength. You know, when you don't move so much, you atrophy a little bit. So we got to build those hips. So anyway, <laughs> but um, one of the steps about visualization that I didn't like, and he told us that he, we wouldn't like it when he was telling me the steps, and he didn't like it at the time, was that you have to visualize with an open heart in order to get the re get the result of the reason why you want the thing in the first place. So you can visualize, he wanted to be a millionaire, obviously he wanted a million dollars because he was poor. He didn't want to feel like that anymore, you know? And so that was his goal. Everything on his list of 10 was to become a doctor and have a million dollars and he got all of that. What he didn't get was a marriage that worked and a daughter then that wouldn't speak to him and <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he forgot. He forgot that the reason he wanted those things was because he wanted to be a doctor to help people along the way. And so this idea of open the heart, and he described what he told him to do, to close his eyes and to see someone that he loved and to um, give them the love that they give him. And then the next step was to see somebody that he has a hard time forgiving and that he doesn't like very much <laughs> and give them the love that he was getting from the other. And he's like, really? <laughs> I should do that? <laughs> and I'm, I'm reading it going, oh, the hardest part for me. And I consider myself this open, loving person, but man, there's some people who have really hurt me and I just don't want to forgive them. 
And somehow, I don't want them to suffer, but I want them to get it. You know what I mean? I want them to hear finally. And, my, and it's all in my head that's telling them when I'm trying to sleep at night, you know what I mean? The argument that I'm still having because they didn't get me. They didn't hear me. They misunderstood me. They betrayed me. Do you know what I mean? They didn't know me. And I spent so much time investing my heart in them. And those are the people I don't want to have an open heart to. <laughs> again. And that's the bottom line, is that I don't want to open my heart to them again. And I think that that's what stands in our way of what forgiveness, you know. And forgiveness doesn't help them. Forgiveness helps you. It's a principle I've always known. You know, it's like taking a poison pill, hoping they'll die. <laughs> it's like they're off with their own life, and they don't give a care in the world about what you're doing now. So he found himself in college, and you know, in the you know, this is also always in the '70s and the '80s when cocaine was, you know, so he got in hooked into the the drugs and the alcohol, and ended up in an accident that almost took his life. And he described a near-death experience where he, you know, could hear them talking about him, and he got, he came out of it, and then he was floating down a river, and he saw a light, and he was being visited by people who were alive and also that had passed. And he's like, I know where this is going. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> said no, and we, you know, the no woke him up in recovery, and he was fine. But um, all that time, he didn't know where he was going, what he was going to do. But he did say that what he felt the closer he got to the light was this knowingness that he once he reached it, that he would be one with his light. That he would be one with all of life. Which is the universal principle of almost every single religious and spiritual teaching. Which is that we are all one. We are just separated right now. You're mutually expressing this oneness as Kulak, as Kara, as Mary. But that's what we're here, fleeing. And we've forgotten culturally because we have been domesticated to think we are less than enough and that we have something to work towards, to fulfill. Now, I say you have a divine destiny because I totally believe that. It is, and it is something that you journey with and look forward to. It gives you a purpose in life that is backed by your intention to fulfill that. Do you know what I mean? Which is what makes the heart desire tell you what you want to visualize to come true. That's the way it's supposed to work. It sounds really simple when I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like in my head going, wow, that was really succinct, Colette. <laughs> but it's true. It should be that simple. He says it's the same with the wounds in our heart. We need to give them our attention so that they can heal. Otherwise, the wounds continue to cause us pain, sometimes for a very long time. We're all going to get hurt. But here's the trick. They also serve as an amazing purpose. When our hearts are wounded, that's when they open. 
We grow through pain. We grow through difficult situations. That's why we have to embrace each and every difficult thing in our life. He now runs an organization that's called the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. But this is what, I haven't finished the book, by the way, so I'm kind of enticing you to <laughs> it's like a wonderful read, and his story is great, especially if you're like looking at your life story, because everybody here in this room knows a story. That would surprise every single one of us if we heard the whole thing. But um, he had, um, at one point, he was, he said, I opened, um, every morning I would check my um, computer to see my stocks because he started investing, and he was worth $75 million at one point instead of the one million. And it lived in Newport Beach. And a friend of his came to him and said he had this new technology that he knows will work. It's in his head. It hasn't been invented yet. But it was the cyberknife, which is fairy tactile fairy researcher, which is the machine that gave us another year and a half of stuff. And so I, I'm like reading this going, I needed to read this book. And know this person and the synchronicity. So the, um, the, the, to make a long story short, he got people to invest millions of dollars into this new technology and, it, and the, the, the creativity part of it, putting together manufacturing and getting it all FDA approved, failed. They all went bankrupt. And then he was invested in the dot-com in the era of the 80s, and he, the, the crash happened, and he crashed with it. And so no more Newport Beach, no more five cars in the garage, no more $75 million in the bank. But he took a, um, I know, I know, talk about shadow. Shadow is the star. But he took and put into an irrevocable trust all his shares of that technology. And in 2007, the FDA approved it. It got built. <laughs> it was worth $300 billion. So his trust got filled with $30 million. But it's irrevocable. Do you guys know what that means? I did not. That means that he can't take it out. It's an irrevocable trust that all that money, that $30 million, goes to all the charities that he had laid out for it to go to. And then his, um, his bookkeeper called him, or bookkeeper, but his business manager called him and said, you know what, nothing got signed. They've got signed the papers. It's not an irrevocable trust. You got $30 million. And he's like, give me a day. And he goes, I'm still a neurosurgeon. And he said, I set up that money for charity anyway. He goes, they can still have it. So he called the next day and he said, sign it, send it to the way it always was supposed to be. And so that technology, two years later in 2009, we drove Shadow all the way to Colorado State University because it was the first machine of its kind built in the United States for veterinarian research. She had five treatments. And we actually beat the cancer, just not the complications, the cancer had caused in the first place. So I started off saying that, you know, we think there are no possibilities in the future. Had he not met this woman and gone through this process and lived his life of imagining anything is possible, that the magic is within you, 
wouldn't have gotten that year and a half with Sarah. She wouldn't have gotten to raise him. He was 30 days old when she had that second child. And so we think of our divine purpose for leading our lives in a way that has that purpose and intention and knowing that your dreams mean that this is what you're supposed to do. Visualize it. Put it on like a jacket. Feel how it's supposed to feel and move in that direction. And do it with an open heart because the intention he wanted was to make children. That was his first thing, to make disfigured children beautiful again so that they didn't feel alienated and isolated and made fun of the way he felt in the world. So once he got back in touch with his heart, what he's been able to accomplish since then is yet to be seen because I haven't finished the book. (laughs) But I've gotten that far, you know? And that um, he wishes he had remembered that part of the book that said, you have to have an open heart in order to do this and get what you wanted from it. You know, because he woke up with that $75 million he was talking about waking up with, sleeping with a woman that he didn't even remember her name and didn't trust that it was her real name. Right? Going and checking his $75 million in the computer. (laughs) And had an ex-wife and a daughter that wasn't speaking to him. This is not what he visualized. But it is what he got because his focus was on and his big heart was on the mansion in, uh, you know what I mean, in, in, in all the cars and everything that he wanted. And I'm not saying you can't have all those things in an open heart too. But he said that um, the uh, 25% of the Western world population, 25% don't feel that they have a person that they can go to in the world and tell them what's going on with them and how they feel. That there's 25% of our population that feels that isolated. That's one in four people in this room. that doesn't feel they really have someone that they can go that they can trust to open their heart to. And giving that it is my personal belief and universal belief that we're all connected and that we all live in a community like the wolves live in a community and we survive because we have each other. Not the other way around. So we're all living but maybe not surviving. We're all living, but maybe, you know, drunk on, you know, the riches. You know what I mean? Like he changed an alcoholic family to, um, an, uh, you know what I mean? Being drunk on $75 million. And so he went backwards, went back to his neurology and started treating people that needed it. And he's invented other things so he's still now I mean I don't know what kind of millionaire or billionaire he is now but he invented something else that then filled his coffers again but it's been the inventing from his heart is where he's gotten to where he's gotten and so I'm looking forward to finishing the book and getting that far I'm so proud of I'm proud of this woman 
been doing this for five years. He's never come and stayed with me twice. Ever. Research has shown that the more connected we are socially, the longer we will live and the faster we will recover when we get ill. In truth, isolation and loneliness puts us at greater risk for early disease and death than smoking. Authentic social connection has a profound effect on your mental health. It even exceeds the value of exercise and ideal body weight on your physical health. It makes you feel good. Social connection triggers the same reward centers in your brain that are triggered when people do drugs or drink alcohol or eat chocolate. In other words, we get sick alone and we get well together. And so it made me think of authenticity and um, my earbuds went out in my car when I was listening to the book, so I put Brene Brown in. <laughs> Does anyone know who she is? Brene Brown. Oh, no, good. She didn't know. Her books are all about vulnerability, authenticity, and um, she's pretty cool. She says, if you trade your authenticity for safety, you may experience the following. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, rage, blame, resentment, and inexplicable blindness. She's talking about she bought herself a ring when she's 40, so there's always time. Because <laughs> she had, she, we're both from Houston, and so every time she talks, I, every time she talks, I'm like, oh my God, I know exactly, she's like my sister, <laughs> just the way she talks. But um, you're raised in the South, I don't know if you know this, to, as a woman, you are raised in my day and age to be a pleasing face with a pleasing voice at all times which is where that, <laughs> bless her heart, came from, <laughs> which is usually, oh, F yourself. <laughs> so, so all the little bless your hearts, you know. <laughs> and when you are asked to do something, you have to do it. There is no no in the South for a woman. And so when she was 40 years old, she bought herself a ring that twists. It has like little rings inside. So when she's asked to do something, she turns the ring three times so that she can remember either I can be um, embarrassed. This is not the word, but I'm just using it. That either I can shame myself right now and feel bad right now, or I can be resentful for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? So she was asked to make 12 dozen brownies by somebody at the PTA for the next day. And she's like, in her brain, she's going, of course whatever you like. <laughs> but she twists the thing and she goes, you know, thanks for asking, but that's not really good for me. <laughs> so she's talking about the bank, but the boundaries. Do you know how many people, the co that codependent um, area of our lives, and it happens to men and women, not just women in the South, but um, that, <laughs> that you can say no. Because what does it happen if you don't? Because the next time they need 12 dozen brownies, they're going to come to you because you said yes last time because everybody else said no, it's not good for me. Right? Because they know you'll do it. 
and you get to be known as the one, the go-to one that we can exhaust completely. Do you know what I mean? Who's been there? Because they won't say no. I know, that word no. <laughs> she says, Tom, thanks for asking. <laughs> so you don't even have to say the N-O. You know, thanks for asking, but tomorrow's not really good for me. Maybe another time I can support you in another way. Here, here's $20. Go buy for yourself. <laughs> Whatever it is that you need to do so that your heart doesn't close up once again because people are taking advantage of you. Because that's what you go home with is that why me? Why always me? Do that. Why do they ask me? Because they know I'll do it. And then, and then you're making the brownies and putting all that energy into the brownies that are going to the kids. <laughs> and then you convince yourself, I'm doing it for the kids. Here, here's your brownie. Enjoy them. They took me all night, by the way. But Jim Doty in his book said that, you know, the pressure on your heart as a, as a medical person, the pressure on your heart to keep it closed has, does actual physical damage. Think about that. The pressure and the stress to keep your heart closed so that you don't open it to get hurt again, you know what I mean? reduces the health of your heart so it cannot function the way it's supposed to. Renee Brown says, if we share our shame story with the wrong person, they can easily become one more piece of flying debris in an already dangerous world. So that's why you don't, right? why you don't open up and that's why the next person that comes into your life you know we're doing it right now you know we're opening up our world for someone new to come and help us with Shadowland you know what I mean after being hurt the last time and it's to and boy did she hear it from me <laughs> in her interview you know but I would rather her know up front my expectations emotionally too because you don't just come into my heart, you come into nine others. And you don't just come and go from that. I know that they see somebody they haven't seen in five years and they're like, where have you been? Freedom will literally flip over himself and start peeing and crying because the last time he saw you, he was a puppy. can't just walk in and out of their heart the way you do mine, you know? And I'm making that clear. So should I feel bad about that? No. No. Those are the boundaries, right? So they get to be on probation. I get to watch to see if they're true to their own heart first now because if you can't be true to your own heart you cannot take care of mine it's kind of the bear of it you know what I mean eventually you're going to crack and I can't afford for you to crack for them so I need you to know how special you are I need you to know 
what you're capable of. You need to, to know that you can be part of a bigger idea than you think, you know what I mean, in your life. And I need you to bring your heart with me, with you and with me into this journey. Or I can't use you. You're more of a liability to me. The fight to be yourself is important, Brene says, not only because the world is missing out on getting the chance to truly know who you are, but more importantly, because you're missing out on the joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, and connection that comes with allowing others to truly see and know you. I stand up in, very easily in front of people, put me in a crowd of people, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> when I'm when I'm terrible. You know, I read this article, you know, the corporate training programs, and I've studied them because I, I did them in New York. I actually worked with people, but I worked with people from an acting point of view, which and I always, as an acting point of view, I worked with your heart and who your true self is and let that uniqueness come out. So I wasn't kind of overloaded with the game, you know, the corporate game that people will do and they'll pay all this money to do it and they'll send you on a zip line tour, <laughs> you know, or to play volleyball. Please don't send me to do a ball sport with anybody of my coworkers. I mean, really, if you want to shame me even further in life, throw a ball to me. Ask my husband. I can't even catch the remote. You know, it's like, <laughs> don't do that to me. So I read this thing, and it started in the late 1990s, and um, it's a list of 36 questions that have been the most significant um, corporate training programs that they have come up with. And what they've done is they've taken a group of people and they've decided and showed their, their social network within, like, if you think about it, a whole, think of a whole floor of a little cubicle. Um, anybody work like that? So you've got a whole floor of little cubicles, and there's a social network in there, who meets at the thing, who eats together, who doesn't, you know what I mean, all that kind of stuff. And they kind of measure that, and then they pair you with your opposite, someone you do not have a social network with, but that you need in order to do your job and at a higher capacity. And they sit you down with 36 questions, and the 36 questions, it's called um, targeted self-exposure exercises. Can you imagine telling a floor full of people in a cubicle that we're going to do targeted self-exposure exercises? <laughs> I would not show up the next day. <laughs> I would call in sick. But there are 36 increasingly personal questions, and it starts off with, like, who would you have lunch with, live or dead? Who would that person be? And it starts there. And then the last question is, when was the last time you cried? Who were you with? And do you ever cry alone? And what it did is it revealed leaders that they didn't know existed. People who were able to step up now because they felt known and safe in order to be in an environment where they could stand up and say, I can do this project. Please let me spearhead. Productivity started to get more, more and more pro productivity. And, you know, I can bring this back to the roles now because that's the cooperative. They've survived the ice age where everybody who didn't come for a spiritual talk and got one anyway. <laughs> That what we know about these Ice Age creatures, and since you've been here last, I read that they now think that the Neanderthals did not survive and the Homo sapiens did because we were hunting and living with wolves, and they called them wolf dogs. 
all the way back then. So if you want to trace when wolves became dogs, it was when we were transferring and evolving from another species altogether. And we cohabitated together and we worked together. We ate the same things together. We lived on the land the same way. And the only way we could have done that with a top-tier predator as a top-tier predator, <laughs> you know what I mean, is that we worked together and ate together and took care of each other and raised each other. And so that is what our community and how we survived in the first place, not to have 25% of the population not believe that there's not one person in their world in their lives that they can go to and call and say, you know, I'm really hurting right now. That's not good. That's not good. And I'm not saying it's because you don't have an open heart. It's probably because your heart was way too open. Do you know what I mean? And it got trampled on too many times. And so we just protect that heart and keep that stress going, and we're all dying of heart disease and other diseases way beyond our living capacity. And at least to have that kind of joy. J.K. Rowling says, we do not need magic to transform our world. We carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. She wrote um, the Harry Potter books, by the way, so I'm ending with magic here. <laughs> So I chose a song to sing. What time is it? Did I leave any time? Um, sometimes I get carried away. <laughs> but it's um, Sarah McLaughlin's um, song, Ordinary Miracle. And uh, thank you all for coming. I see so many new faces. We will go see the wolves, by the way. So <laughs> they're going to be excited to see all these people.
got lost there, so thanks for bearing with me. <laughs> God bless. You know, coming from my acting background, that would have been a mortifying experience a long time ago, and I don't know, I can feel the flush, and my all my arms are warm, and I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, just breathe. <laughs> you can find it again, and then I didn't. <laughs> So listen to Sarah. It's a beautiful song. <laughs> so Road Doll says, and above all, watch with glittering eyes the whole world around you because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places. Those who don't believe in magic will never find it. Thank you, guys. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs>